And again, you're right, Ephesians 4. Uh, we're going to look one more time here at uh, God's answer to uh, Satan's church. And, and again, uh, we, we were looking here in chapter 4 of Ephesians in verse 9 and 10, this parenthesis, and re really just in a way of answering the, Satan's uh, charge and, and his, uh, I called it his church, if you will, and how he has handled and, and manufactures and does through the course of this world. And uh, the, we looked last time at the great descent. Well, let, let's just read uh, Ephesians 4, verse number 9. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And again, we looked at that issue of his, he descended first. He left, uh, come on over to Philippians chapter 2. I should have had you get both passages, but we'll get there. He first comes down and he descends. And in, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 down to verse 8, there's a seven steps that he descended down. He leaves the third heaven. He leaves heaven's glory, the glory that the Godhead has together, that life that they have, and he descends down. Ephesians 4 says, to the lower parts of the earth. And we've looked at that. You, you know, some will say, that is hell and he goes into paradise or actually they twist it around and say he goes into torments and then over to paradise and we've looked at that 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 can't be because of the information given to us in Luke 16 about the gulf in between there you can't pass that so if you say that he goes to torments and then to the paradise and then up something's not right somewhere somebody's you know uh, making a making a mistake so you work that out. We did that. And you talk about the lower parts. Well, maybe that's just a grave and so forth. And, and really for me, it's that issue here in Philippians 2. What did he do? Verse number uh, five, 6. Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashioned as a man. So the lower parts of the earth is a reference, I, I'm, I believe, to Genesis chapter 2 when God forms man out of the dirt. What did the Lord do? He could have come and been made in the form of a servant, i.e. in the likeness of an angel, Hebrews says. But he didn't. He was made a little lower than the angels. Angels are ministering spirits. They're servants. But then he went into the lowest denominator of servanthood, man. And he says, I'm going to go there. He does it himself. He humbled himself. He, he thinks about this himself. It's his decision to take the will of the Father, the plan of the Father, and to play his part in it, just as the Holy Spirit plays his part in it. And as we do that, he descended. Well, where did he descend? He humbled himself. He became obedient unto the cross, the death of the cross. Not an easy cross, a cursed cross. So he takes the lowest form of servanthood, and then he goes and he dies a cursed death. <laughs> cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. So he's he's not up here in high 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 society. He's down in the dirt with you and I. Why? Because he's our kinsman redeemer, and he's doing the plan and the word and the will of the Father, and he works that out. And because he does that, what then does the Father do? Verse nine. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, 
and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So when you come back to Ephesians 4, we saw the exaltation. He, we see the descent. He ascends. But in that ascension, he ascends, Ephesians 4, verse number 9, verse number 10, he that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens. He, he sits in an exalted position in the Godhead now, in the Father's plan, in the Father's mind. He sits there. And I want to look at that because of the way verse 10 ends. That, the purpose, the reason, the reason he descended, came and was made man, went then and died the cross of Calvary, was buried, rose again the third day, and then ascended up. The reason that he did that was that he might fill all things. Now, the all things have a, a context to them. Come back to chapter 1 of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. And again, we're in Ephesians 4. We're just pulled two verses out and we're looking at them. But in Ephesians 1, he's already dealt with the all things. If you look there at verse 22. And hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. Well, verse 22, there's a couple verses before that, isn't there? Look at verse 20. Which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and set him at his right own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things. What all things? The principalities, the powers, the thrones, the mights, dominions, Colossians 1.16. You have all of that governmental structure sits underneath the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ today for the body of Christ, for the church. Now, in Israel's program, he will sit as their ultimate king in the future. But we're, we're not worried about Israel, we're about us. In chapter 4, verse 10, that he might fill all things. He has, because he descended, because he went to the cross, because he willingly, deliberately, purposefully obeyed the will of the Father, he ascends, you with me? He now has the exaltation, he holds the position where he can use us, the members of his body, to fill up all of his creation in the heavenly places. And he can do it, 2 Corinthians 4, we'll get over there in just a minute, with the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And he's literally going to manifest his glory out here in Ephesians, look at chapter 2. He's going to manifest his glory out through his creation. He's going to do it in the heavens, church, the body of Christ, and in the earth, the nation of Israel. Ephesians 2, verse 7, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Ages, plural, this age gets done, the next one, and what are we doing? We are showing forth 
the exceeding riches of his grace. We get here, it gets good. Boy, it's going to be good. And then it gets here, and it's better. And then it's more better and more better. Bad English, I know. More better. More. It just gets better as the clock ticks. Come on over to 2 Corinthians 8. He does that because of that exalted position that the Father has placed him in because he came and did and worked the plan. He worked out the plan of the Father. 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9, a wonderful verse here. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he thought it not equal, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Though he were rich, who was he? He's God. Second member of the Godhead. Nobody arguing with who he is. Yet for your sakes, he became poor. What did he do? He humbled himself. He came down and fashioned, fashion showed. (laughs) He showed man what man was supposed to have been doing all along. And he showed man that you can't do it, you need a redeemer. That ye through his poverty might be rich. That's what's going on here. That's what he's doing. Come back to chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. There are some out there that don't believe that. They don't believe, they have other ideas. The problem is, is the verse says what the verse says. So if you don't believe it, then you're going to have, you're struggling with the verse. <laughs> you can ask God. There's going to be a lot of people surprised at the rapture and then at the end. A lot of people are going to go, huh? What happened? And because they don't believe the verses. Here are the verses, 2 Corinthians 4. Look here at verse number 6. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. It's interesting, just kind of side note, that Paul drags you back to Genesis 1. This is verse 3, but what happened in 1-1? In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. What happened in 2? And the earth was without form and void. Judgment happened is what happened. Now he pulled himself out. Now it's darkness covers everything. But what happened in 1-3? Hey, let there be light. And there was light. Now that's not the sun, the moon, the stars. That come a few days later. That's Now God's going to go back in and start working. And he turns the light bulbs on, if you will. And the light and the darkness there... It isn't, it isn't the sun and the moon. It's kind of like coming in here at night. On Wednesday nights, when we leave, we turn the lights out. It is dark in here. But you turn the light. It's a different kind of light these fluorescents are. It's not the sun and the moon. And there's a light there. And what does he say? Hey, for God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, have shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of of Jesus Christ. Notice why he gives the light. Why is he shining the light? It's to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of someone, someone who is worthy. You see, the Father, if you can understand and you can come to appreciate what the Father sees in his Son, that's what the Father wants you to do. The Father wants you to fall in love with the Son. 
then what you're going to see in the face of the sun is the glory of God. That outward shining of, that outward manifestation, that proclamation of who He is, how He thinks about things, how He's going to respond. How does God think about this or that? How does God plan things out? You know, God's not a God of confusion and chaos. He's got a plan. You go read Ephesians 1. Well, go over there. Shoot, Ephesians 1. Just go there. So when you see this issue about in the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, that's what we're talking about. There's a glory. There's an issue here that enables the Father to look at the Son and exalt Him into a position so that He can then fill out everything according to the plan. And there's an exaltation here. Ephesians 1, verse 9 and 10, but you've got to start in verse 3 because sometimes we tend to forget verse 3. I don't know how you can. It's one of the great verses. Blessed be the God and who? Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who? So who's the who? The Father. The Father. Who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly place in Christ? Well, the who can't be Christ because how, you know, it's kind of in Christ in himself. Now, he can do it, and he does do things like that. But who's doing this? Who's laying the blessings out? The Father. So verse 9. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will. Whose will? The Father. God the Father. His will. You see how you got to, the, again, the three big things in Bible study. Context, context, context. You, got, you can't leave it. I had a conversation with a gentleman just this past week where he was talking about a verse, and I said, but in the context of that verse, your use is a misuse of it. It's a misapplication. Because you say that's what this verse is saying, and three verses early says you can't say that. <laughs> see? So you've got to work your con you got to work an issue out here. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. Think about this. That in, here's the purpose, here's the mystery of his will, here's the good pleasure, here's the here's what he hath purposed in himself. You notice it's in himself. He didn't ask you. He didn't consult creation. He didn't come along and say, hey, what do you guys think about this? He, he just he did it amongst the Godhead. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. There's God's ultimate plan. There's why he created. There's why you have, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. He had a plan in himself. He doesn't ask anybody. He doesn't consult with anyone. He sits there with the Godhead. By the way, when you say God, when Godhead's the, the scriptural term, we use the word Trinity from time to time. You'll hear that. But when you think about God, everybody goes, how do you think about God? Well, think about humanity. We got a bunch of humanity in this room, don't we? All different personalities, all different shapes, sizes, looks, the whole bit. Well, the Godhead's the same way. See, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit belong to God. They are God. They make up God. There's only three members. But they all have distinct individual personalities and things, and they have all the stuff that goes on with them. The Father comes in and says, okay, guys, here's the plan. And the plan is verse 10. 
that out there in the future, in the fullness of times, when time comes, the reason that time's created comes to its fullness, its completion. All of the structure of the universe is going to be back under the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now come back with me to Isaiah 48. Because when you look back at Israel, you see this described to them. And you, see, you, you get a great insight. And it's always fascinating to me how Paul will make a reference back to Genesis 1. And he'll make a reference over here to Isaiah. And actually in Ephesians, he quotes the Old Testament quite a bit. Because you can look back into Israel's history and see pictures of what he's going to do with us as we come to the sound doctrine given to us under Paul. So he says, you see how God's doing it here? That's what he's doing, he's going to do with us, but just in the heavenly places, and he kept that part secret. You follow that? Okay? It's tremendous, Bible study-wise. Look at Isaiah 48. Watch verse 12. Hearken unto me, O Jacob, and Israel my called. I am he. I am the first. I also am the last. Revelation 1, he's Alpha and Omega. You know what? Somebody, one of the little guys asked me, yeah, a couple Sundays ago, I think it was, where did God come from? He's always been. See? Now, that's a little hard to wrap your head around sometimes. What is he? He's the first, and he's the last. Now, watch what he says here. Watch how God's going to manifest his glory. Now, this is in Israel, Okay? Because the glory of God here is going to simply be the setting forth of who he is. How he thinks, his plan, his excellency. And when we see what he has planned, purpose, and we see it illustrated out through his people, then you get an idea of how he's going to work out over here with you and I. Okay? Verse 13. My hand also hath laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand hath spanned the heavens. Now watch. When I call unto them, they stand up, how? Together. Now that's Ephesians 1.10. When he makes the call, what's creation going to do? Stand up, but stand up how? Together, okay? Now the earth, he works it out in Isaiah and so forth with Israel, and he shows them the kingdom and all of that. But he leaves out the heaven part. That's the mystery part. Now he comes to you and I, Ephesians 1.10 says, hey, the whole plan, the ultimate plan and purpose, the glory. He says, man, when I call, it's time for creation Come over with me to Ephesians 3 to stand up. It's time, again, a forelook into the dispensation of the fullness of times when he's going to do that. By the way, you needed Ephesians 1.10 to understand Isaiah 48.13. If you drop off your understanding of Ephesians 1.10, what do you think is going to happen? Well, they're going to stand up together, but he's never told you in the Old Testament how the heavens stand up. He just says there's going to be a war in heaven. 
He goes, I'm going to go out there and clean it out. But he gives you no idea of how any of that's... But Ephesians and Paul comes in and says what? Here's how he's going to work the heavenly places out. Here's what he's going to do. Your job, I've, I've been quoting this because Mel Derry, he's with the Lord now. He, he, was, he was there at Shorewood. A dad, and a great part of the ministry, a, a, a vital part of ministry. And he made the statement one time, we're not here on the earth. We're not put here on the earth to be remembered. We're put here on the earth to prepare for eternity. Well, how do I know what my eternity is if I don't have right division, dispensational Bible study? I'm over here doing, okay? Look at Ephesians 3 just kind of real quick here. So when he makes the call, one grand congregation is going to stand up together. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to say, he is worthy. Remember that thing in Revelation? Who's worthy to open the seal book? Well, the lamb is over there. You know what the creation's going to do in, in, out there in the dispensational fullness of time? It's, they're going to stand together, and they're going to say, Philippians 2, 9, 10, 11, and 12. He's worthy. Why? He descended, died a cursed death for a cursed man. All in Adam die. And then he was buried. He rose again. He took care of the second death. He dealt with all of that, and he ascended because you know what that was? That was God's plan. Ephesians chapter 1, I think. Uh, you know what? I'm ahead of myself. Sorry. I looked down, too, at the wrong note. You see, he did all of that. He descended so that he could ascend, so that he could have and be able to fill all things. So from the very beginning, the goal, Ephesians 1.10, is, is to have a creation filled with creatures who willingly, purposefully, freely stand up and worship him. That's the goal. And if you can wrap your mind around that, and have that come, come over to John 1. Let's just get back on track here. And have that grip your heart the way it grips the Father's heart, the way it grips the Son's heart, the way it grips the Holy Spirit's heart, then all the other mess around you just seems to pale in comparison. John chapter 1. Let's talk about his glory and the glory here that they're going to share and they're going to have. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. So we're talking about the person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 14, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Notice this issue about the glory. He's the Word. He's equal with God. Verse 3, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Where's life come from? Comes from him. Comes from the word. The living word, by the way, it also comes from the written word. But where does life come from? It's Genesis 2, 7. What did he do? He reached down there. He took a pile of dirt, did a little spit on you, rubbed you out, to two legs, two arms, a head, mouth, two... Made, made man, 
And then what did he do? He breathed into life into his nostrils, and man became a living soul. There's life. The life issue is there. He created man. And what he does is he breathes life into you so that you become more than just a body. You are an individual and a distinct soul. That's who you are when you die, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Who's standing? Your body we're going to lay over here in the dirt somewhere. You stand where? In the presence of the Lord. But you how? 2 Corinthians 5 is clear. We long to be clothed because we don't want to be there naked. Naked in what way? Naked without a body. But how does your body stand there? Stands there, your soul, how does your, your body? Your soul stands there in the shape of your body. Two legs, two arms, eyes, ears. And we saw that last time with the rich man in, the, in hell and the fingers and everything. And you sit there and you stand in his presence. What are we waiting for? We're waiting for the rapture day, the, the day of redemption, the calling, the gathering together, however you need to phrase it. The why? Because when we get the body, now we can do what? Go to work. It's time to go to work. How do you interact with life around you? This body does that. Without this, you would be not here. You don't relate to it. How do we relate to the heavenly places? We have to have a new body, a new creation, a new creature a new man, a new species of humanity is what he's making here. But for what? For his honor, for his glory, for him. Verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. God takes his life and he put it into man. Ecclesiastes 12 calls it the silver cord that runs through. Come back over, hold on to slide something into John for just a minute. Come back over there to 2 Corinthians 4. We just read this in verse 6. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Give light. Give some understanding to the soul. Thy word is a light. It's a lamp and it's a, under the, it, the entrance of thy word is life and light. He's going to give you some light. Jesus Christ puts his life in us so that as we live, we can live out. I say this all the time, and I'm trying to figure out a new way to say it, to stick it through into your thick head, because it's in my thick head. He literally put his life in you so that he can come over here and live out his life in your life. That life is to be a life of light and understanding and knowledge. Understanding his purpose. Why do I, what am I doing here? That great question, right? Well, you're learning why. You're getting ready for the great adventure. You're moving towards that. That's what you're moving. Again, Mel Derry, you're not here to be remembered. You're here to prepare for eternity. You know what Bible stands for, right? B-I-B-L-E. Basic instructions before leaving earth. 
That's what you're look. That's where you're getting ready for it. The knowledge, life, light, the knowledge of the glory of God. So when you come back to John, John one. Verse 5, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Now we're there. Now we're back to Genesis 1 again. And that darkness, that spiritual darkness. Satan looks at when Satan saw you, saw you, saw man get be created, he wasn't worried about you at all. He wasn't worried about Adam at all. But what did Satan miss? That soul part, that internal part, that inner man issue. Satan just comes in and does his thing. Come over to chapter 17 of John. John 17. There's a fly, and it found me. John 17. Think about the glory, the glory of God and the Lord Jesus, in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. John 17, verse 1. Now, John 17 is the real Lord's Prayer. He's come out of the upper room with the 12 apostles. There's 11 of them. Judas has left to go do his job of betrayal. He comes out. They're ready to go down in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he prays to the Father. You ought to go through the gospel sometimes and see how many times the, the Lord talks to the Father. The Son fought that intimate prayer relationship that they had. That, inter- that talking, that conversation between them. He says, 17.1, These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. The night before the cross. What's he looking at? The Son knows he's going to Calvary. He's already assigned to it. What does he say? He says, hey, glorify me that thy son, the hours come, glorify thy son, and thy son also may glorify who? Thee, Father. Look at the mindset there. Verse 2, and as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him, and this is life eternal, that they may live forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. No, it's not what the verse says, is it? that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. You see, life eternal, eternal life. Folks, you're going to live forever, whether it's in heaven's glory or it's in hell. You decide your destiny. But you're living forever. And that's a sad case when most Christians don't even think about it like that. He says, you know what eternal life is? It isn't just living forever. You know what the ages to come are? It isn't just going on in in an immortal existence. It's to what? What does verse 3 say? That they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, and and also the Holy Spirit, by the way. It's just not there in that verse yet, okay? What are you going to do for eternity? You're going to get to know how the Godhead lives. You're going to get to know how they think about each other. You're going to get to live in Philippians 2, 3 to 5 all the time. 
that you would, uh, that, that uh, Philippians 2 and <coughs> verse 3, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What are you going to, you're going to learn to live like the Godhead learned. And how does the Godhead live? They live for each other. There's a value and esteem for each other. There isn't, you know, when the father said, guys, here's the plan, they didn't say, well, I have a better plan. Hang on a minute and go pull up drive B. No, it's plan A. And here's the plan. You see, the Holy Spirit didn't come over and say, well, I got a plan C. I think this ought to be considered. Come over to John chapter 5. See, you got you to think Think about this the way the Godhead thinks about this. Why was he highly exalted above all things? That he might fill all things. That exaltation came, but when it came and when it takes place, the Father's glorified, the Son's glorified, and the Holy Spirit's glorified. The glory goes to all three. Now, the scriptures, though it's written in the volume of the book concerning me, Hebrews 10, the scriptures are talking about who? The Son. But then you have all these other references to how the Son thinks. And he's glorify the Father, glorify the Spirit. And you begin to get this wonderful picture of God life, the, the Godhead's life, and how they're to live. John 5, verse number 20. We're just jumping in here. Verse 19, Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of himself but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. Now wait a minute. What did Philippians 2 tell us? He's God. So why in the world is the Son looking to the Father to tell him what to do? He's God. Can't he just go do whatever he wants to do? Sure, he's God. But what did he purpose? What did he himself he humbled himself. He made himself of no reputation. He says, this is the Father's plan, and we're going to work that plan. I'm not going to do this. Not my will, but thy will, Father. Thinking about who? Thinking about others better than himself. Now watch verse 20. For the Father loveth the Son, and showeth him all things that himself doeth. And he will show him greater works than these that ye may marvel. For as the Father raises up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. In Colossians 1, Paul says that he is the preeminent one. The Son is. The Father sets him so. What did the Father just give the, the Son the power to do there? Judge. Who's the judge? The Son is. But how's he going to judge? By the plan and the will and the word of the Father. This is the, the criteria. Drop down to verse 26. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Verse 30, I can do of mine own self, I can of my own self do nothing as I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. So when you have the, the Lord, what's he doing? 
He's honoring the Father. And what's the Father doing with the Son? Honor, glorying the Son. Now, come over to 2 Peter 1 and just catch 2 Peter 1, the Holy Spirit. Because he's usually the one that gets left out of the equation, and that's really unfair, okay? Because he's a vital component of this. You know the, the thing where two or three witnesses are gathered? That confirmation? So what do you got? You got the Father's plan, and you got two witnesses that say that's good, okay? 2 Peter 1, verse 21. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by who? So he's talking about the scriptures. So the word of God is the work product of the Holy Spirit. You see that? The Holy Spirit works in conjunction with the word of God. Okay? You got that? Come back to Genesis 1 just quickly. On your way, stop and get Psalms 138, but we need Genesis 1. Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Verse 2, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Verse 3, and God said. So what do you got? you got the Spirit moving on the face of the waters, and then God says something, and then it's done. They're working together. Psalms 138. Whenever you hear someone say that the Spirit's working on me, just for your, you can pick the fight if you want and deal with them, or you can just in your internal man know that he's working in you that which believes. You take the Word of God, you put it in you. That's why the Bible issue is an issue. You need to know you have the Word of God for you as an English-speaking person. You get it in there. Once you get it in, then you the Spirit grabs it and takes it to work. Psalms 138, verse 1. I will praise thee with my whole heart. By the way, this is a psalm of David. Before the gods will I praise unto thee. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. He's magnified the what? The work product of the Holy Spirit. And he put it above his name. Jehovah, by the way, is his name here. He says, you know what? I am Jehovah, and they're going to know me as Jehovah, but you know what I'm doing? I'm honoring and glorifying the Spirit's work above my own work. So I'm, there's a movement here. The Father says, the work product of the Holy Spirit is more valuable than my reputation. And the Son says, yep, add my reputation to that too. So all three of the members of the Godhead, they come together. And they live for each other. They live to honor, glorify one another. So when you have the Father, the Father is going to honor and glorify the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then you come over here and you got the Son, and He's going to honor and glorify the Father and the Holy Spirit. Then you come over here and you got the Holy Spirit, and He's honoring and glorifying the Father and the Son. You, you, you get dizzy going in circles. But that's God's life. That's his glory. 
That's getting to know him. How does he function? Well, I'm going to get my way? No, not at all. What does he say? Not my will, but thy will be done. Come back over with me to Ephesians 1. Actually, go get Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10. Just so you see this. And then we'll go to Ephesians 1. Hebrews 10. The writer of Hebrews is quoting Psalms 40. He says in verse 5, Hebrews 10, 5, Wherefore when, wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, So wherefore when he, that'll be the Son, cometh into the world, born of Mary, and so forth, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, Boy, that just rings bells about what he, back there in the Old Testament, the prophets, he looks at Israel and says, I don't want your stinking sacrifices. I want your heart. And your heart's been turned to serve other gods. And you've provoked me to anger. Now watch. But a body thou hast prepared me. There's Philippians 2. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, the Son, lo I, the Son, come. In the volume of the book it is written of me, the work product of the Holy Spirit. I come to do thy will, O God. There's the attitude. They're living for one another. Now come to Ephesians 1. By the way, you can go, there's many other passages. John 16, the Lord sits there and he says, hey, when the Comforter comes, he's writing about me. He's going to bring into remembrance everything I said to you, and he's going to give you all the information that, that you're not ready to have until after the resurrection, when I open the instruction. And so then you get the Hebrew epistles. You know, you got all of that. You can, and just for time, I got five minutes before the nursery help come down on me, okay? <laughs> Look at Ephesians 1. Well, we're going to take more than five, but I'll deal with it later. Look at Ephesians 1. Now watch the prayer here in verse 17. Because this is really where I was headed. But you've got to get all that other in your head. That the God, Paul's going to pray for the saints. Verse 16, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation and the knowledge of him. Notice the title, the Father of Glory. He is the one that put that ultimate plan together, verse 10, and he's calling it glory. I don't know if you've ever written up a business plan. Okay? Good. Waste of time. But what do you do? In, 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 uh, many years ago in church, church marketing, you had to have a vision statement and a mission statement. And you had to have a, 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 a ministry verse. Well, we've got one of those. All this stuff. And you know what you do? You title it. You know, I get this stuff in the emails and, the, and, and, and so forth about 52 sermons. Every, and it's a title. And it's a theme for the year. You know, the renewal, you know, and all this stuff. Well, you know what he did? He titled his plan. He called it glory. 
He's the father of glory. He's the one that came up with the plan, the ultimate plan, the ultimate purpose, and he called it glory. Now watch verse 18. First of all, unto you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation of knowledge, in, of, in the knowledge of who? Of him. Okay? The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. That, uh, verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his call. Who's calling? The Father's calling. The Father of glory's calling. It's his calling. And what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Notice again, it's his calling, not your calling. It's his inheritance, not your inheritance. You see, it's about him. It's about the Father and this glory plan. And he has, he has all of this to do. And it follows that thinking process that the Godhead has of magnifying and glorifying each other. And then he says to you and I, because you're in my son, because you trusted Calvary, because you've been placed into the body of Christ, because I ha you have been given eternal life, I'm now going to inherit you. And you are going to be a part of this glory plan that I planned before the foundation of the world, before there wasn't even a bad thought about anything. And I even planned that so that you can do this and we can do what? We can all glorify the Son. Philippians 1, verse 9. Folks, this is about you being given... Paul talks about, he says over there, he goes, we've been entrusted with this gospel. We've been entrusted with the grace of God. We've been allowed to make, be made partakers. You got Philippians 1, look at Colossians 1. By, by the way, these ought to just be ringing verses. Colossians 1, verse 11. Colossians 1, verse 10. Ah, verse 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. Boy, what a way to live life. Not worried about all the nonsense around you because they'll pay for it one day. We're in Romans 12 and 17 to 21 there. And what does the Lord say? Don't get even. Don't even think about that. I'm going to take care of that when the time's right. Verse 12, giving thanks unto the who. Who's doing this? The Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Notice what's happening there. The Father says, because you went to Calvary and trusted my Son, I've made you meet, qualified to be a partaker in my plan. And in my glory plan, now go to Philippians 1. And by the way, you don't do anything for it. It is a gift. It's right. I did this for you. Actually, I did it for my son. 
and I'm allowing you to come because creation's original intent was to have creatures who willingly, deliberately, purposefully worship the Creator. And that's what you and I are to do. Philippians 1, verse number 9. Philippians 1, verse number 9. And this I pray. By the way, notice we're reading Paul's prayers here. Now, Paul prayed a ton, don't get me wrong. But five of them are listed to you so that you understand how perfected saints are to pray and what they are praying for. Now, in Philippians 4, he says you can pray for anything. Just know that the answer is going to be the God of peace keeps your hearts and minds. Okay? It isn't a limiting of prayer, but where should your mindset be? How about 419? And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere without offense until the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. Now notice that. Your love, that your love may abound. Love, that mental attitude. That ability to think like God thinks. How does he think about it? How would he respond to this? What's his attitudes on it? By the way, you have all of that in the word of God rightly divided. It's given to you. Okay? You just got to read your three chapters a day, get it in it, get it into your thinking, get it into your inner man, and before long it becomes literally second nature to you. And you come over here and second nature takes over, not the old sin nature, but the new nature takes over. Why? Because you've been feeding this dog, I've been starving that dog, and I'm over here doing. That your love, may, knowledge, may abound yet more and more in knowledge. By the way, wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, gold, silver, and precious stones, here they are. What are we to be building into our inner man? Here they are. Knowledge. Think of no. How do how do you know something? Well, you know it from God's word. It's always right, even when you disagree with it. It's right. I said it earlier. People are gonna be surprised when God's word was right all along. Well, it just doesn't match my thought. Well, that's your I was talking to a brother, dear brother, and I said, You just read that verse differently than I read the verse. But regardless, the verse is true. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, I guess you got a point there. I said, so I think you should read it the way I read it. <laughs> and then we, we had a big laugh, okay? But see, that's the thing. Knowledge. You know it from God's Word, the Word product of the Holy Spirit. Judgment. How do you take what I know and apply it to life? How do I go live it? How do I move it over from page and black and white into reality? There's a judgment, a discernment that you may approve things that are excellent. Oh, man. I can look at things and take the best of the best and do that. But the end of that, the rest of that verse is fascinating to me. That ye may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. He says, listen, guys, you're to have a knowledge, you're to have a judgment, you're to have a mental attitude of, of love, the ability to think like God thinks, so that all the way out to the day of Christ, the rapture, the end of it, you are the real deal. 
You're sincere and without offense all the way through to the end. So as you learn and as you grow and as you walk through life, you're putting on display, you're manifesting the glory of the Godhead, the life of Christ living out in you. Everything, when someone sees you, you know what they see? They see him. Yeah, but Rick, I struggle. That's okay. We all do. But what do you do when you struggle? Pick yourself up, learn from your struggle, keep moving. Why? Look at verse 11. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness. Being filled. Ephesians 5 says being filled with the Spirit, consumed, completely gripped by the, a life controlled by the fruits of righteousness. The fruits come from a tree that's got life in it. A dead tree doesn't produce fruit. But it's a fruit of what? Of righteousness. And it's by Jesus Christ. It's not even you. Paul to the Corinthians, he says, I am what I am by the grace of God. I am, And I labored more abundantly than you all, but not I, but Christ that's in me. See, recognize where it's really coming from. Where's the fruits of righteousness coming from? Not you, but who? Him. Literally, folks, on the stage of where you live, God has designed it so that there is an outbreak of the righteous character of the Lord Jesus Christ in time, in human history, where you're at. That's then the unto the glory and praise of God. That is the, that expression of God's life living out in time in your life. You see, the whole plan is so that he can fill it all up, but fill it up with his glory. Fill it up with, with you as you display, put on display his life, his glory. And the whole plan right now for you in time as an ambassador for Christ is for his life to live out in the details of your life. And that shows how you value him. How worthy is he to you? I started it by saying that if you can fall in love with the son the way the father does, it changes everything. How do you view him today? Philippians 1.21, Paul says, For to me to live is Christ. But to die is gain. I mean, far better to be absent with the Lord. But what? To me, to live is Christ. How valuable is he to you and to I? It starts now in time, and it goes on out for eternity. So when he is exalted, he's exalted already. He's already there. He's just letting the programs got to play out. But you got to think about how valuable is he to you? Because then you're going to let his life then and his word live out through you. And that's really our challenge, isn't it? Because we tend to be over in the other the not-so-sunny side of life, and we need to be on the sunny side all the time. Our dear Father, we thank you for the morning. 
We thank you for your word. We thank you for the instruction in it. We thank you for everything that we have in your son. We thank you for the glory that's been put on display by the Godhead and that we can see it in the pages of your word and we can rejoice in them and we can take them and we can learn them and we can dig into them and then we can ultimately apply it all to the details of our lives so that where we go, you are given the glory and the honor. We'll do it all for your name. Amen. All right.